0: But uh, please turn in your Bible to Ezra chapter four. <clears throat> We're going to be in Ezra four seventeen through five chapter five, chapter five verse five. How many of you have ever heard good news, bad news jokes? Anybody ever heard one? Heard them before? Yep. Well, I was reading one this week, and this guy said it's good news. We've got good news. I'm done working my first shift early. The bad news is because they laid us all off. And so today we are looking at good news, bad news. That's what's happened. Last week we read the letter that the opponents wrote to King Artaxerxes, trying to get him to withdraw his uh, permission for them to rebuild the temple. And so Today, we're going to see the king's response to them, but then we're going to see God's response. And so, we're going to pick up in verse 17 of chapter 4. Then the king sent an answer to Rehum the commander and Shimshai the scribe and to the rest of their colleagues who live in Samaria and in the rest of the provinces beyond the river. Peace. And now the document which you sent to us has been translated and read before me. A decree has been issued by me and a search has been made and it has been discovered that the city has risen up against the kings in past days, that rebellion and revolt have been perpetrated in it, that mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem, governing all the provinces beyond the river, and that tribute, custom, and toll were paid to them. So now, issue a decree to make these men stop work, that this city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. Beware of being negligent in carrying out this matter. Why should damage increase to the detriment of the kings? Then, as soon as the copy of the King Artaxerxes' document was read before Rahum and Shimshai, the scribe and their colleagues. They went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. Then the work on the house of God in Jerusalem ceased and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. When the prophets Haggai, the prophet Zechariah, the son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of uh, Jehoshaddak, arose to begin to rebuild the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At that time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Sheatar Bozni, and their colleagues came to them and spoke to them thus, who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure? Then we told them accordingly what the names of the men who were reconstructing this building. But the eye of their God was on the elders of, Jerusalem, of the Jews, and they did not stop them until a report could come to Darius. Then a written reply, and then a written reply be returned concerning it. <clears throat> Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have in your word. And Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that you will give us insight into the challenges of what it means to rebuild. And so, Father, I pray that your will will be done, that we'll we'll grow, we'll learn, we'll have insight into wisdom from you because of our time spent together in your word. Thank you for all you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at good news, bad news, or bad news, good news, we'll see the king's response and God's response. We'll see both. And so, here in verse 17 through 24, the king responds. He answers the letter sent to him by the opponents of Israel. He was responsive to their letter in this way. He searched out their claims and found that Jerusalem had been a rebellious city. So the king took their letter seriously and did the work. He went back and researched to find out about Jerusalem. He found that that was accurate. The problem was this was the first deception. So they had tricked him or deceived him into believing that rebellion was tied to that city and the rebuilding of it would be associated with that to instigate fear of the king. That was tied to people over 70 years ago that had done that as God raised up that city. And so now they've got the king running on fear. And so they had deceived him. <clears throat> they tied They tied results to truths that don't correlate. And that's how the enemy works, ladies and gentlemen. He will take things that are that are true, and he'll tie outcomes and um, other things to that to lend credibility to his argument. And so we see that in the garden. We see that every time. What did what did he try to do with Jesus? He tried to he quoted scripture at Jesus with false results. Well, God has said this. And so, go ahead and do that. And the behavior was sin in itself, trying to use scripture to leverage it, he take truth, and changed it to try to get certain behaviors, certain actions. And so, he's, they, they you're being used by him as they're appealing to Artaxerxes here. And so, <clears throat> the opponents applied their behavior to one of the people completely different to a completely different people. So we see that as we walk through that, sometimes when we agree with someone on the initial facts, we have a tendency to follow their line of reasoning as it develops, even if it's completely false. So as you travel through, it's, you have to take each thing in and of itself and evaluate evaluate whether or not it's God's Word. He will start somewhere you can agree with. He will start with a truth that we all say, yes, that is an argument, that it is way arguments in debate, it works. You find something that we can agree on and you say, well, if that means this, then it means this, and that means this. And all of a sudden you're afield from what the truth actually is. And so ladies and gentlemen, we must use discernment when dealing with the enemy, when he comes. We agree with what the book says only, not the conclusions drawn. But that's why the notes in your Bible are so dangerous. Not that they're not inspired by godly men, but people will read those as God's word itself. Listen, God inspired the word of God. Now we can use helps as we study to see what God has has said to other men, but that is not the word of God. The word of God stands on its own authority, ladies and gentlemen, and it is enough. And God will speak to your heart as you study it and read it. And so we have to be careful that we're not drawing false conclusions from true statements. So be careful. This first argument appears to have been enough to cause the king to issue a decree to stop Israel... From rebuilding the temple. Fear can cause us to act foolishly. Have you ever done something crazy. Because you were afraid. Have you ever been. Uh, forced in time and space. To act in a way that. You later regretted. How many of you. Have ever been spooked at night. And kicked the bedpost. Yeah. That's when we find. That's <laughs> that's when we learn. The expanse of our vocabulary. <laughs> You have to be careful. And so, fear causes us to act foolishly. Get the facts. And remember to question the conclusions. Because truth matters, ladies and gentlemen. Truth matters. Do not build your life on something that will fall apart. Don't get out there and build with false conclusions. I mean... (laughs) That's how Eve made her decision. Based on the false conclusions of the enemy. So we have to be careful. Excuse me. That we don't do that. If you mix. If you have a weak foundation. And you build the house. Your house is going to fall. You know, when you mix a uh, uh, good solids, we were talking about our foundation here. I uh, can't remember what day it was that we were talking about it. But when we poured this slab, uh, here's, here's a little bit of the story. It's really kind of interesting. When we poured this slab, the rains came and the beams collapsed. You, you know, when, I'm, when, uh, when, you, when you build a slab, you have beams that are where the load bearing and you have to separate it. Our beams collapsed. So they actually took all the rebar out, all the plastic out. They redug all that that had been collapsed. And you know what happened is the beams were increased. They doubled in size. And so we thought it was a terrible thing that it had rained, but God was giving us a stronger foundation. And so when they put everything back, they were actually short on concrete. They had order two more trucks. And because of that, they had ordered a 4,000 PSI instead of a 3,000 PSI, which was fantastic until we found out that we had an overflow out here right where our power came in, that we had to break off. And we tried to use a backhoe to do that and it almost broke the bucket. So we had to get an air ram in here. And we have weld plates and we are welded into this slab. So if there's an F5 coming through, this is the place to be. <laughs> you know, So when you build on a solid foundation, the house will stand. And the foundation we have is the word of God. And so they are coming, and they're drawing false, they're deceiving him. Remember, the father of all lies is the enemy. And so when there's lies being perpetrated, when untruths are woven in, that is a function of the enemy. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. And when we're going to build and do what God has called us to, the enemy is going to show up like this and try and destroy what God is building. And we have to say no to his attempts. See, he warns the guys not to be negligent in stopping them so damage doesn't come to the king. And so urgency is another threat to gathering truth. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We got to do it fast. You need to slow it down. When you feel pressured to hurry and rush. That opens the door to the enemy. So be careful. Be careful. Slow it down. Get the facts. Now the interesting part is. It says. As soon as. Man. You ever done something as soon as it came in. You were waiting on your Amazon delivery. And as soon as it got there. You opened it up and you're. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, same thing. As soon as this letter came in, they rushed over there. And that isn't interesting that they went with arms. And so they were ready. They were ready. They were they had prepped themselves to stop the work of God. As soon as they get there, they don't waste any time. They go and they stop Israel by force. And it was stopped until Darius, the second year of Darius's reign. You know, here's the thing. They thought they had won. They thought they had won. But God had something to say about it. And so the king responds. And who's he looking after? Himself. He's looking after this grip that they've had on Israel because, see, they let Israel go back. King Xerxes sent them back. And his son, Artaxerxes comes to power. And he's like, holy mackerel, these guys are going to build a kingdom for themselves and we're going to be left with nothing. We're going to end up paying them. We've got to stop this. And so they show up and they threaten them. They threaten them. But God sees what's going on, folks. God sees what's going on. And he responds to them here through Haggai and Zechariah. And he speaks to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. And after hearing these prophets, Zerubbabel and Jeshua began to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. See, when we understand what God wants, we have to obey him. When we know what God wants, we have to obey Him. Now there is a time, and I know I know we're like an hour early, but don't check out on me. There is a time for social disobedience. Now I believe, as God's word has clearly explained, that all authority over us has been given by God. That we're to pray for those who are in leadership over us, including politically, whether they be local officials all the way to the president. And even Jesus said, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, unto God's what's God's. But there comes a time if they tell us that we can't read God's word, if we can't share the gospel, there comes a time where we say no to that. We say God's command trumps you. And we take a stand. And I'm going to tell you what's happened in this country. We've been playing this whole thing of the separation of church and state. And if you go back, it's not in the Constitution. It was in a letter written. And it was pulled out of there and it's been applied through a a process called stare decisis, which means uh, law based on case law. It's It's not codified in the law. And... What the letter really originally meant was that the, the, church, the state has to stay out of the affairs of the church, not the church out of the state. And we've reversed it. So the church today has fallen, fallen silent and we are not standing for godly principles. We're not being salt and light anymore. We're not standing up for what's right. And then we wonder what's going on with our country and how it seems to be slipping away. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to stand for the book and we have to stand for what it says and we have to take our lumps when darkness hates what we have to say because we're told that in John. And none of us like that. None of us want to be rejected. We all want to be accepted. But we but our, what we believe is not acceptable to those who don't know God. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and be rebellious. What I'm saying is, Don't back up on what you believe because you're afraid because the world seems to have gone crazy. The reason they're going crazy is they have no foundation of truth and they're out there wandering trying to find it. And they haven't found a Christian that's convinced on what he has to say because we back up when the heat is on. And it's time to stand when the heat is on. It's time to not walk away, it's time to say, listen, in a loving, and can you share Christ obnoxiously? Yes. Is the story of the gospel offensive in and of itself? Yes. And so when we do it with a broken heart and a prayerful mind for the person we're sharing with, and there's evidence of the moving of the spirit, God can do amazing things. And if we choose to share, we've been successful because it's God who saves. And if he chooses not to in that moment, then we were a planter or a waterer and that has been successful. And so if, you know, they talk about these movements taking off and we see it in politically, we see it in other ways. You know, we were just talking this morning. Uh, How many of y'all, how many of y'all had an eight track in your car at one time? My first car had an eight track. I took it out so I could put a cassette player in. And cassettes were the big deal. Remember that? Remember the pencil through there, and you had to. And then cassettes went away, and the latest and greatest thing was CDs. Then after CD's, people went back to those big LP black records, because you lose a little bit, right? We, the digital lost some of that analog feel to it. It had more of a real feel. And so we go, and, and now the new cars don't even have CD players. You guys just bought a new car. Don't know that? You gotta plug into them and play it off this the cloud. I wish they'd named it Clear Skies, I would have been more receptive. <laughs> <laughs> but things change, ladies and gentlemen. Things change over time, but God's word never changes. God's word never changes. And the thing is, we all how many we go through stuff, don't we? We go through difficulties, we go through problems, we yeah with our spouses. We want to blame them? Because it's their fault, right? Everybody said amen? <laughs> it's never us. It can't be me. There ain't nothing wrong with me, Terry. Where is she? Oh, she's not here. Okay. <laughs> Terry. <laughs> and the truth is, a humble man or humble woman checks themselves first. A prideful man says, Terry, you need to go. Or Mark, you need to go. And if we are going to see where we, what we become and what has slipped away from us, we have to begin with ourselves and say, have I let this go? We can always say somebody else. We can always say um, it's you or it's them or it's somebody else. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, I pray that we are known not because of because we have a great preacher, because we're still praying for that. <laughs> I pray that we are known because we have love for Jesus Christ and one another and are compassionate to the world and are uncompromising with the gospel. When we do that, it's the great commandment and the great commission together, right? God has commanded us, To love him and love our neighbor. The great commission is to go and make disciples. Not converts, disciples. And a true disciple is a disciple maker. They make other disciples. They replicate themselves. One of the first commands to Adam and Eve was go and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Make other ones just like you. And so we have a calling. There are people who are looking for something genuine, and everybody uses the words genuine and authentic. But I'm going to tell you something. Until you're on your knees before God saying, I'm undone, there's nothing genuine or authentic about you until it begins with you. You can't use that as a mantra. It's not something you, you, it's something that's found, it's discovered. It's the hand of God upon his people where they know their place and and they understand his place. And in delight and joy, they follow and serve him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And there's not a lot of people, a lot of people will go, what do you have to offer me? What do you have to offer us? But neither one of those are the questions. The only question you ask is, what has God said? What has God said? How does God want to use me? He'll show you where. He determines the time and place of our habitation, doesn't he? We are all living right. How many of you ever thought, man, I wish I had lived another time, an earlier time? You ever thought that? Man, it was like so great back then. You know, they were, you know, is this a certain way or something you liked about it, right? I think we've all said that. But God is determined to put us here and now during this time, in this generation, for this group of people, for the people that are living out there, for the people that are moving in, for the roads and homes that are being built out here. When we moved in here, that was corn. Man planted corn and God grew people. Mm-hmm. And we've got a calling. He brought them to us. You know, we need to knock knock on those doors and meet them and minister to them whether they ever come here or not. Salt and light is not selfish. Did you realize salt and light gives away? Fruit is given away. When we give it away, God takes care of the rest of it. See, folks, people talk, I I completely know, but when people talk about growing a great church, they usually talk about numbers. And they don't understand that the church is you. You. Spiritually mature and in love with Jesus Christ, unconvinced by anything but the Spirit of God. How cool is that? That's authenticity before God. It's not something to be sold. It's not something to be marketed. It's discovered through humility and the process of walking with Him every day. That's what He's reminding them of that God is in control. This didn't just happen. This wasn't just, you know, it's really interesting that we don't have the text of what they said. You find that interesting? I find that interesting. Because that was for them. And whatever he told them caused them to ignore the king's decree and return to the work of building the temple. And so, there's a time for social disobedience, if you will. If it ever violates the word of God, and we're commanded to say it's okay, we cannot do that. And I will not do that. And so the interesting part is the prophets were there supporting these guys who were doing the building. So we know that the prophets believed that Zerubbabel and Jeshua were doing doing what God had instructed. They're in it together. They were touched by the very message that God brought them that they delivered to these men. And so they were in it with them. You know, we kind of think of these prophets as guys that just, like, share this godly wisdom. And we have, you know, we have Ezekiel and Jeremiah and we have Amos and Amos is an interesting book. You should go. Do you know that Amos was a uh, was a fig rancher? They call him a fig rancher. Usually, that's a farmer, right? But they call him a fig rancher. And you know how you you know how figs ripen? You ever studied it? It's really interesting. Figs ripen when they're pinched. You pinch them and they ripen up. And so there's one time that God shows up and speaks to Amos. And says, that I'm, it, it tells him to go see the king and tell the king that he's about to get pinched by God because he's going to ripen. How do you like to hear that message? I'm going be like, can I go willingly? <laughs> and not have to go through all that? But they're traveling here. They're traveling through this with God. And so, here's the thing. It doesn't go unnoticed. It didn't go unnoticed. The work they... Because they sent guys to say, hey, what's going on? Uh, Tatt and I, the governor beyond the river, and his colleagues with them, went and asked them, who issued you a decree to rebuild the temple and to finish this structure? And they told them, these are the names. Here you go. They didn't go, we're not telling you. Who claimed the fifth? This is it. They stood up for what they believed in, they give them the names. Gives us a glimpse into what the prophets had said. God said, rebuild it. We get a little glimpse there. He did something to restore them to what God had called them to. Listen, if God calls us to a work, there is nobody that can stop it if we're obedient to God. Hello? Hello? We love time change Sunday. <laughs> Nobody can stop it. I don't care who you are. God created every one of the people who would try to stop it. I have seen people try to stop the work of God before. It did not go well for them. You know what I did? I prayed for them. We don't go, ah That's not a right attitude. The right attitude is brokenness. That they're missing out on what God's up to. It's because they don't know Him. And so here they were. They tell them, they tell them the names. God's hand was on this because these men did not stop them from building. So the people who came to ask about it didn't stop them again. So we see the hand of God. Here's the example of it right here, and so what have, they, they go on, and they give them the names and they and so he his hand is upon them. They don't stop them, and they had an order from a previous king, but for some reason they didn't stop them. God was at work in the both the men of Israel to resume building, and those who came to check. So both sides, God was working on. And sometimes we think that God only speaks to us. He doesn't speak to anybody else. That's just false. Have you ever had God give you, prompt you to go talk to somebody, maybe spiritually, maybe about their salvation, maybe about an issue going on? And you think, well, how am I gonna bring this up? How? First thing we think is, how can I convince them? You ever had that thought? That's not your job. Our job is to obey God and go talk to them. His job is to do what he's doing in them. He has probably already prepped their heart. And he's going to give you the words that you need that match what he's done. Have you ever had somebody come to you and talk to you spiritually? I'll give you a good example. I was uh, when I was young and I was sitting where you are. I wanted to serve God so bad. I started serving in every way I could. I was in the drama team. I was in the choir. I was leading the pioneers group in the the Awana program at church. And I was in the choir. uh, And I I was doing as much as I could possibly do. And I was running the bus ministry. I was in charge of it. And the guy who was running the Awana program came to me and said, Mark, you're doing too much. You need to pick. You need to pick. You need to find out where you're supposed to be. And you know what my initial response was? I got mad. <laughs> that ain't godly, is it? It wasn't. I got mad inside. Who was he to tell me? I'm serving God. This is all for God. But there was godly wisdom in there because you can be stretched so thin that you're, you're no good. But thank God for that man who had the spiritual strength to come and speak truth into my life when I wasn't even ready to hear it. But the funny thing is, before that I thought, wow, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Now where did that come from? God had prepared me to hear what he had to say, even though emotionally I wasn't there yet. And that's how God works in our life. He prepares them, because if I wasn't exhausted, I would have argued, I would have said, no, I'm good. But when he said that, it was like, oh, that would be so nice. But I gotta press on, I gotta press on. And you hear that, you hear that in sermons all the time. We gotta press on. We press on to what God has called us to. Not just to add some more notches to our belts. And so we have to understand what he said. His commandment to Ezra was to rebuild the temple. Not to rebuild the walls. We've heard that before. And I've said it before. Well, Nehemiah came back because Ezra couldn't get it done. Ezra wasn't commanded to do it. That was wrong what I said. Ezra was not commanded to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was. Ezra was commanded to rebuild the temple. And so God speaks here. He speaks to them. And so God was at work in both of them. They requested a reading from Darius. See, when God calls you to a work, he'll both clear the way for you And give you confidence to follow his leading. He will. You let him. And so, what do we learn from the bad news, good news, this bad news, good news passage? See, the enemies—one we learn the enemies of God are militant in their pursuit to oppose him. They're militant, folks. Look around. Just like these men, they try to get stuff passed in the law. So we cannot do what God's called us to do. It's happening all around us. Do not underestimate your enemy. We are called, we are not called to fear him, but we should respect him. We don't fear the devil. You know, I remember these old preachers back in the day, well, I'm just going to kick the devil in the head. Let me tell you, I think that was reserved for the heel of Jesus on the cross. He did it already. And when we rest in him, you know how you resist the devil? You ever ever heard that passage, resist the devil will flee from you? You know how you do that? You submit yourself, therefore, to God. That's the first half of the the verse. Submit to God is resisting the devil. And when you submit to God, he's going to flee because we're not giving in to his his misleading and, and deceptive comments. And so realize that they're they're militant to oppose him. That was not and you think it was bad then, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse, folks. So if we're afraid and cowardly now, we're gonna have a problem later. We're gonna we're gonna develop a spiritual backbone, not of rudeness but of confidence in Christ. Two, there comes a time when we must choose to obey God or man. We're instructed to clearly obey all authority. The only exception is when the authorities tell us to not obey God. Then we must obey him and not them. That's how it works. There comes a time and we're gonna we're gonna be facing that. We're almost there. Three, when God is in something, nothing can stop it. We spend too much time worrying about what everybody else thinks. Why would I care what somebody doesn't know what God thinks about the decisions I'm making for the Lord? I care about them and I care that they see that my heart is genuine. They're not going to agree with me because the darkness hates the light. It run- What does it say when the light comes on? What does the darkness do? It flees. It flees. It runs away. They r- it runs away. It doesn't want anything to do with it. And so why should we think that they're going to run to it? They're not going to run to it. We're going to run away. But we don't stop sharing the light because God saves people. He's still in the people-saving business, ladies and gentlemen. And if we get off all the other things that want to distract us, that want to derail us, that have to do with everything else in life that has nothing to do with winning souls and discipling them and pouring ourselves into them, If we can get away all that junk out of the way, then we can be about what God's called us to. What is today's mantra when you ask somebody something? Everybody here is busy all the time, right? We're all busy. How you doing? All busy. You know, and I've fallen into that trap too. I think we need to be less busy. I think there's things we need to get stripped out of our life that don't need to be there. I'm working on that now. Terry and I had a long conversation about that this weekend. Are we pursuing what's godly? Are we pursuing about us? Even if you have godly intentions. Because there's people who are going to show up there in heaven one day and say, well, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Demons obeyed them. And Jesus is going to say, depart, for I never do you. So doing good works, remember there's no life in good. the Life's only found in Jesus. You go, what? You may go, what? They called Jesus good and he said, there ain't none good, no, not one. He included himself. Why would he do that? You ever wonder that? Because if he equated himself with goodness, people would pursue goodness instead of Christ. And we would turn into self-righteousness instead of the very righteousness of God because that's what he accepts. So nothing can stop it. If you know God has led you to something, you need to obey him. You need to follow him. And say yes and go, you yeah, know, I'm scared to death. I'm nervous. Be honest with him. Have you ever thought about being honest with God? Instead of praying, like, oh, holy heavenly Father, you have no. Father, I'm scared. Or I'm angry. Why did you leave me out there twisting in the wind like that? You ever prayed that prayer? <coughs> I have too. And there have been times where God said, Mark, I didn't leave you out there. Let me show you. And then there's been times I've prayed that and God said, you really think I left you out there? I went, oh, oh. <laughs> hello. <laughs> How you doing? No, I'm just asking. <laughs> because when God exerts his power, we got nothing to stand on. I'm telling you, we think that we're all big and that We actually have this idea that God serves us instead of us serving Him. We act that way sometimes. Listen, I ain't nothing compared to Him. Nothing. Except that He says that I'm something. So much that He sent His Son to die for me. Isn't that cool? His love for us adds value to us. And we have to accept that. We have to accept that from him. You know, there was... uh, I read this story about... It was uh, was at a funeral, and as vice president, uh, George Bush, I believe it was George Bush Sr., had recounted this story when he was vice president. He went to uh, the funeral of former Soviet leader, uh, Leonid Brezhnev, And he was deeply moved by this silent um, protest carried out by his wife, his widow. She stood motionless by the coffin. As he recounts the story, she stood motionless by the coffin. When the time came to close the coffin, she reached in and put a little cross on his head. Now, they stood for everything anti-God. They were atheists uh, by definition. But yet she reaches in at that last second and puts a cross on him. And that must have taken great courage and hope to do that. So, it was a profound act of civil disobedience by her to do that. She reached down and she made that, she did it on his chest. And there in the citadel of secular and atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it, all hoped, that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life, and that the life was best represented by Jesus, who died on the cross. And that same Jesus might have mercy on her husband. So, see, when we boil all of the stuff down, we boil all the junk down. We have a hope that Jesus to come through for us. So, all the posturing, all of that that goes on is a show meant to keep us quiet and to keep them insulated believing that they're right when in their heart according to Romans 1 they all know that God is real and that's our mission is to introduce them to him that's why they built the temple that's why we built Neuro I'll ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.